0: This is Confluence, Confluence. where great ideas flow together.
1: This is Confluence, where great ideas flow together. The podcast of the Graduate School of the University of Montana. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School. On Confluence, we travel down the tributaries of wisdom and beauty that enrich the soil of knowledge on our beautiful mountain campus.
0: I talked a little bit before about, we have a difference between accommodation and assimilation in our brain. And what that is, is like, if we see something different, like if you saw, a purple mongoose jump into the room all of a sudden. You would think in your brain automatically, where does this fit in terms of my categorization? It looks like a weasel, but it's purple. So like, you know, you might have to like accommodate for that and like create a new category that's for purple mongoose kind of thing, um, as opposed to assimilating it and making it similar to the weasels in your brain, you know? (laughs) So we, we have this real powerful way of thinking about our experiences and then that impacts our emotions, right? Um, so sticking with the mongoose analogy, we might have feelings about that mongoose, right? So, so this is really like when we think about cognitive behavioral therapy, um, there's choice points within this that we can train our brain to think about and, and respond differently. So if we have those automatic thoughts that kind of pop up, um, that we can, um, you know, find ways to not necessarily fight that emotion or thought, but reframing those things can really have a powerful impact on each of those domains.
1: You just heard the voice of Dr. Annie Belcourt, Professor of Community and Public Health, and Chair of Native American Studies, talking about the importance of reframing as a tool for mentorship. The snippet is part of a training Annie developed with her colleagues Holly Schleicher, whom we spoke with in Episode 90, and Brian Cochran, featured in Episode 91. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School, an institutional PI on the National Science Foundation collaborative grant that funded their work mental health opportunities for professional empowerment and stem that's a mouthful so we call it MHOps, which has funded work in support of graduate student mental health and well-being dr belcourt was raised on the blackfeet reservation as an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes mandan hidatsa blackfeet and chippewa descent dr belcourt's research and clinical priorities include mental health disparities post-traumatic stress reactions risk resilience and psychiatric disorder. You can learn more about Annie's journey in Confluence episode 29, linked in the show notes. In the episode that follows, you'll hear our conversation about the importance of developing a trauma-informed approach to mentorship and the core role culture plays in building resilience. Annie is a big believer in the power of humor to release tension and create connection. Annie loves to laugh. We hope listeners will want to learn more and explore the resources of the M-HOPES grant through a link in the show notes. There, you'll find our online course developed by the expert trainers in the series. We encourage faculty across UM and in our network to register for and complete this training. We hope this episode inspires you to play a positive role in building a community of care wherever you are on your journey. Welcome to Confluence, where the river is always with us. Annie, thank you for joining me to talk about this grant work that we're doing. You know, what led you to kind of want to be involved in the grant?
0: So, well, thank you for having this opportunity to talk about the project and the trainings. I mean, it does actually go to the title of the grant. Part of my dissertation was on hope and sort of radical hope and how part of that is pertaining to my experience as a Native scholar and as a somebody trained as a clinical psychologist. And so a lot of... Um, the work that we do with our Native students as well as with, you know, clients we may see in psychotherapy is is about how to recreate meaning and hope for our clients to change their lives in different ways. And so a lot of that has to do with, you know, the experience of suffering and how we think about suffering as clinicians and as well as educators and, and how that work can inform the work that we do in ways that allows people to hopefully transform experiences of struggle and challenge they have into, you know, improving their lives in ways that are enriching and meaningful and, you know, not dictated by the clinician or educator, but instead on their own terms and how that they can really access ways that are within themselves and strengths within themselves to be able to endure. And in many ways, live with some of the things that we've all experienced during the pandemic, which has been suffering. And suffering can be tied to losses we may have experienced within our families, our relationships, our you know our goals as a student or as a professional, and things that have changed over the last few years. One of the things that, as a native person, I've always experienced, and in some ways been fortunate <laughs> to experience, is that. You know, for many Native people, you know, we have a lot more struggles than others. Um, we have health disparities that are quite, you know, severe. And you know, during the pandemic, we had more of our people who are becoming ill and dying because of that, and that's impacted our students' health. and And so, one of the things I've had to really intentionally incorporate into my teaching is is trauma informed educational strategies. So. Part of that what that means is sort of teaching people about the ways that trauma can impact our daily functioning and oftentimes in ways that we aren't consciously aware of.
1: Yeah, you c- wouldn't necessarily be able to be aware of the direct link yes. between the behavior or the the experience and the original trauma that might be driving it. Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of that is because of our thoughts and our thoughts kind of operate at a subconscious level. <laughs> you know, we go through a day in autopilot like oh, I got to drive here. Drive there, do this, do that, go to this building. And what we don't always experience an acknowledgement of is the way that we talk to ourselves in those different spaces. And so, if if we're depressed, we're more likely to have negative thoughts, and we're negatively kind of biased in, in different ways. When we're anxious, we might have more thoughts worrying about the future, that sort of thing. A lot of our goal in psychotherapy is to help people be more mindfully aware in the moment, and that allows us to monitor in a way our ability to regulate our emotions and it's nothing super fancy in some ways it's just like recognizing okay i'm i'm feeling down yeah. and so i'm i'm noticing these thoughts that are more negative and is sort of leading into a more kind of negative space for me emotionally. So it's all about that triad between the way our thoughts influence our behaviors and our actions and and therefore our emotions. So those kinds of things can really interplay
1: and so where, yeah, looking for the places where you can intervene if they are negative patterns that are self-reinforcing. What are the, th- what are the things that they can intervene to, to, to shift that? And so on a personal level, of course, it's a hugely valuable skill. You say it's not fancy. Yeah, but it's hard. And for, so for mentors that are mm-hmm. working with graduate students, how are you bridging them to that model and giving them skills to kind of help? both for themselves, right? In other words, they have to ask some questions Mm -hmm. of themselves in order to be good at asking the similar questions of their students. And then how do you give them the confidence to kind of engage with their students on the mental health and well-being aspect of of their educational journey?
0: Yeah, part of it is just like providing some basic foundations in what is, you know, how do we function as people and a foundational curiosity as to how, how the things that we do as individuals influences our interactions with others and our mood and our emotional sort of status from minute to minute. So providing some education in that, but then also like ways that you can intervene that may be things like reframing negative thoughts to be more positive in not a toxic, positivity kind of way but in in the in a more compassionate towards the self kind of way how do we think about things that reframes like catastrophic thinking to be more of a nuanced gray example of, of how we think about cause and effect so parts of that is like for Mentors is to also have a vibrant life where they're doing self-care in a very real way. If that's for them engaging with nature, if that's doing exercising, if that's doing artwork or creativity or generosity, kindness, those sorts of things that are, you know, will bring you into a better space emotionally. And those skills are learnable. And that's very hopeful as we think about our work with our, you know, students and people that we're trying to mentor is to try to help them have access to the full range of human emotions as opposed to being stuck in like a very anxious place or a very sad, depressed place. One of the things we we know with trauma exposure and We think about post-traumatic recovery, and, you know, most people who have experienced trauma don't develop a disorder, right? But the ones that do, you know, we we know that there are ways that they can come out of that, and some of that is is relying on some of the things that we know help people, you know, in normal times, and, you know, and and some of those are just, you know, choice and meaning making and, you know, things that bring us joy and, and happiness and,
1: But maybe in the context of trauma, it's a little bit harder to get to those places. So it takes more practice or more repetition, more conscious awareness.
0: Right. And the conscious awareness piece is is important because, you know, when we have experienced stress, we oftentimes are put into a fight, flight, or freeze kind of space or people pleasing, you know, can be part of that. And so, you know, the conscious piece is, is to kind of recognize and notice when those things are happening so that you can kind of step back. And take some, you know, deliberate actions to look at, like a, again, the full range of emotion. You know, this came up yesterday as we we're doing the training, is as somebody had had mentioned. Well, what if I can't l- understand or label? The emotion i'm experiencing mm. which is a, a, a symptom of trauma it's 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 called alexithymia and it's sort whoa, whoa, of slow down i know I, I know Alec- alexa alexithymia okay
1: alexa, alexa right so wordless or yes. something like that yes and uh, being emotion
0: able, being able to uh, label your emotions and, and understand those emotions and but,
1: but your model i love it because it, it tells you that's exactly where you can't label it quickly. That's where you need to dig in.
0: And it's a skill. Like yeah. l- like riding a bike, right? It's like sort of like learning how we respond in a kind of reactive or almost uh, reflexive way to, you know, our worlds, right? And if we're more likely to be, you know, going down a pathway of like, this is my fault, and I feel bad about this, and I feel guilt, and I feel anger, and I feel these kinds of things. When you bring in conscious awareness into that piece, you're more likely to be able to like, come out of that, and to reframe those things in ways that really have a significant impact on our emotional status and like how we how we interact with the world. And so some of our psychotherapies that are based on these things are are kind of about helping to kind of provide access and build access for people and with people, really, mm. to the wide range of human emotions, yeah. which, you know, sounds si- simple. <laughs> and easy. Again,
1: again, sounds simple, but it's, it's a practice. It's something you have to build. I like that you referred to a, a faculty member bringing up their own, you know, doubts about putting a name on an emotion, because I think that's a key part of this work that y'all are doing is Cultivating introspection among these mentors and helping them work through kind of their own ways of approaching those issues. What other kinds of things like that have you noticed in the workshops that faculty are bringing to the table? What problems are they bringing to your attention? And how are you and Brian and, and Holly kind of integrating that into the workshop?
0: Yeah, definitely. So one of the things I love working with the three of them, and we, I think, complement each other in different ways because we're we're all psychologists, of course, but, like, you know, we have different approaches. We we all have foundational skills and cognitive behavioral approaches and interventions. But, you know, I I focus a lot more on cross-cultural work and, you know, trauma being a, you know, big area of focus for, for myself. And then, of course, Indigenous and cultural healing and...
1: Well, and let's talk about that just for a little bit, uh, for a second, because I think this is important for listeners to kind of think sure. about that. We put this team together, but you're actually in a community health and public health program, yeah. and you think about population level research as well. Brian, is, he's a clinician and he's training PhD students. And then Holly is kind of in this integrative behavioral health space. She's a clinician herself, but is doing research on the IBH model. And so I'm just kind of parsing out that complementarity of the team. You know, each bring similar, similar training, but different facets of what interests you in terms of, you know, fleshing out a full model of, of mentorship.
0: I definitely, I think, probably think more in a community level because of my background in public health as well as being a Native person. And so part of what I think about is how do we as communities lift up ways of healing? And part of that is through my own work with my own tribal community, and I, I grew up on the Blackfeet Reservation, so a lot of my experiences reflect that experience, and thinking about the healing that happens within our communities in a very normative way. I mean, this is just part of the fabric of who we are, is is looking at our culture, our language, ident- identity, our ceremonial practices as being a fundamental aspect of who we are as people. And so those things all really influence my work. And as I think about trauma, thinking about systematic kind of approaches to helping people heal from trauma, which is, you know, building trauma-informed spaces in many ways. And so for me, that that is uh, something that I really try to rely upon um, in the work that I do. And, and narrative and storytelling is part of that. And that's Really, hugely reflects my culture, and so having grown up in a, a community where, you know, we we do active listening, we we think about talking to our elders, learning from our elders, you know, and and incorporating the meaning in the stories that are shared with us, and honoring that meaning for for Native people is something that we grew up learning, but only now I'm starting to kind of really you know recognize oh, that's why this elder shared that story with me. Mm. Because that, in, in a sense, is telling me how to, you know, think about living together. Like, so one one example is, you know, we have star stories, and we have star stories in our, our building, we have a planetarium that is based around this. And we have two stories that one of our, our Blackfeet knowledge holders, Leo Bird Sr., <laughs> um, had, had shared. And and I incorporate that into my courses because it talks about community and community as being a level of intervention that we can help to invest in healing. So one of the stories is about the Pleiades or the bunch stars and, and the idea of the story is about how you know it's important to treat each other in respectful ways. And some of the morals of the story really reveal themselves at different times in your life. But all of those things for me as a clinician really helped me to think about okay something as contemporary as bullying you know how do we think about like intervening within that what is lateral violence how do we understand you know these different kind of ways of social leveling in psychology and so As we work, you know, with a a lot of um, communities, we think about community-level interventions in those ways. And and for me, like, story can be such a powerful part of that. So it is, like, nice that the three of us have these different complementary, you know. And a lot of that is humor, too. Like, we've talked yesterday just thinking about some tricks and tips <laughs> if you will about how to moderate our emotional experiences and share yeah that. and th- this is yeah. key
1: to your work is de-escalation yeah and thinking about what are yeah. the sort of tools and skills in a moment that you can that you can again bearing in mind that you know the the training is does not have as an end goal to make the no, STEM professors no. counselors, right? But to give them skills and techniques that in the moment when they're faced with a student who's maybe in crisis, maybe experiencing an acute moment, what are the ways you can de-escalate? So mm-hmm. share a little bit about the sort of philosophy and theory around that.
0: Yeah. So a lot of a lot of our colleagues who've done work with like, well, all kinds of clinical populations, but, you know, folks who have struggled with serious mental illness and, and thinking about ways to deescalate those situations. And a lot of it is like, you know, I think as we go about our daily lives, if you have a conflict happen, a lot of times, you know, we can be experienced some fight or flight response, right? Where we either want to like Come back at people, <laughs> or we want to flee the situation. And with de-escalation techniques, it's it's about a couple things. Well, one is just treating people with the basic humanity and respect. But you know, that's a lot of the fundamental things. It's just like you know, a, and and mirroring people where they're at. And you know, in the case of uh, as an example people who have maybe delusional thoughts, you know, not directly coming in and saying that thought's wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is why. And instead, when you face that with compassion, and you might redirect, right, that's the boundary piece of things. And you might be intentionally trying to, you know, help help the person in that moment feel safety and and feel that they can kind of come back to baseline, you know, for, for themselves and things. But a lot of those techniques are simple things like, you know, having our, our workspaces, you know, be informed in this way, like, you know, so that things are welcoming, that, you know, there's a peaceful kind of situation. But then as we're talking to people, you know, just pacing how we interact with them you know if they don't are you aren't using a lot of eye contact not not you know not staring you know that kind of over, thing over, <laughs> over yeah, emphasizing, uh, over manner, emphasizing yeah. things so trying to like physically mirror like our reflective listening in ways that align with their presentation and yeah. and a lot of it is people want to be heard and they want to feel you know what they say has value and importance and 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 noticing those things about people, the humanity that's kind of underlying what they're asking for, is is a lot of times, you know, some of what's helpful. The boundary piece is, like, super important, right? So if people do need help, you know, getting them to the people who can help them, right? And so being very clear about what our boundaries are as an educator, right? As
1: yeah, and, and Brian's workshop kind of focuses on consistency, mm-hmm and the ways in which the norms and standards of communication are set as a default in the, the direction of positive communication, but then consistent. And so then boundary making is kind of part of that. You know, recognizing in a, in a mentor relationship, there's some things that you know, both a, a mentee and a mentor want to be aware about you know, where, where crossing a boundary might make one or the other person uncomfortable. So that all has to be brought up to the surface. It has to be made clear, right, and Mm -hmm. transparent in the the mentor relationship. It can't be taken for granted. And we can't assume that our students come with a well-developed idea of what that's going to be like. We need to be a little bit more transparent about it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it is like, you know, when thinking about like our colleagues in developmental psychology, right, like a lot of a lot of the work that we're doing is helping, you know, people build their lives and their identity as people. And so, you know, trying to kind of help them have that journey for, you know, and supporting them in ways that are, you know, not conflicting with that. Or, you know, just a lot of reflective listening is, is a lot of what helps people kind of to feel the sense of validation mm-hmm. that sometimes they may be seeking, you know. Yeah. Um, and And those are some skills that we can kind of, like, you know, think about learning and, and be curious around. A lot of it is that curiosity.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, a, a deep well of, of thinking that, that I've encountered in your work is, is the importance of how the narrative storytelling component of whether it be at the individual level, I mean, in a sense, that's what a clinical relationship is. It's a story being told between two people where you're trying to kind of help that person find a different version of the story than the one they're living in, right? But all the way up to this community level that you've talked about so eloquently about how a community binds itself together through stories, and these stories have this kind of recursive depth to it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, and for for many of us, right, we're trained to not feel that our story matters and that's for like a lot of our you know indigenous people that you know women you know people who are marginalized in different ways but having that compassion is, is is something that is like key to like thinking of our lives differently in a way that we we can kind of reclaim some of that and you know that That's something that I think that we, you know, we think about social justice and public health and social determinants, you know, and something I teach in my classes about is is how we as communities can, you know, adopt a, a sense of curiosity towards different lived experiences. Like we think about, you know, the, these different narratives that we all walk around with and, and inter- interact with people, but how, how do we meet each other in this third conversation mm-hmm. that is like mindful of both, right? It's yeah. conducive to like achieving goals, yeah. you know, and it's not getting us locked into a particular position. Which and often
1: that's going to be stressing the, the, the thing that we share rather than the thing that divides us. Yeah. Words, re- refocusing the attention on the thing that we share the shared goal like right. I like that phrase third way that's really
0: right good. I mean on any campus any given place you know I think people tend to kind of lose that compassion they're like well it's x you know this this office is the bad guy and I'm mm. the good guy and so we we don't want to feed into any of that because you know we're all here to try to like you know find ways to be curious about the world through education right that's one of our goals and so an example yesterday that came up was we were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of Mm -hmm. needs you know and it was really a great learning moment because Brian was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how you know the kind of foundation is do we have the basic needs met and then eventually hierarchically we can work towards self-actualization whatever that might look like and you know be these like wonderful you know Fully functioning people, right? Yeah. But the thing that was left out of that and that we had a conversation yesterday, which was really f- fun, I thought, was that Maslow had created this theory based on his work with the Blackfeet and, and he had worked in Canada. And, and I did not know that. Yeah. So the Cooney in Canada. No, the Blackfeet, but so so he had worked with tribal communities, photos of Maslow, Abraham Maslow, wow. working with our tribal communities. and. The issue there, though, is that he had basically inverted what had been taught to him. So instead of looking at kind of an individualistic goal of becoming self-actualized, what they were telling him— It's a community him, goal. It's a community <laughs> goal. But at the center of it is like having our own like health and our own— Spiritual health and how we kind of create meaning and generosity and kindness and then as you do that, then you then you kind of will have naturally have access to things like a place to live and things wow. to eat and all these different things. That's amazing. So I've never is, heard
1: that story. That's
0: quite incredible. It is. It is, and a lot of our our researchers in Canada really helped to develop some of that awareness of the you know the origination of those theories, and so you know in that that's a really helpful moment for us to have compassion about. We can see two things at the same time. There's a dialectic, right? And two things can be m- almost mutually exclusive, but also true, yeah, right? That's
1: interesting. And, yeah. and
0: so as we think about that, as we work with our mentees and our students and colleagues, you know, having that compassion and that respect as we think about mentorship and we think about different goals, communities that maybe, you know, emphasize community at the community level. And so, you know, you know, I've been really fortunate to go to a number of our ceremonies this last year. And the cool thing is, is that for, especially for the Blackfeet, we, a lot of it is about love, you know, and it's not even really complicated, you know, (laughs) at the, at the heart of it is sort of how do we love each other better as communities? And how do we love all of the relations that, that we have, and that includes like animals, that includes our you know water, our elements, and different things of that nature. And it's just a different way to live in a way because you're just a lot more mindful. But it aligns really well with our you know psychotherapy principles, which Mm -hmm. is like, how do we treat people with compassion and respect? How do we treat ourselves with compassion and respect? And how does that carve down to change things fundamentally for people to live in healthier ways, in ways that are more aligned with their values as people? I think we're all searching for these things that bring our lives meaning and contentment and, and, you know, joy occasionally. And those things are going to look differently for every person but as as we mentor people as we help people provide access and opportunities to to ways that do bring them meaning and joy you know if that's researching their genealogy if that's learning about their family history if that's learning about the science of all of these things and how we think about precision medicine and how we can help people you know better survive cancer, things like that. Those are people's passions and like how we can activate their lives in ways that align with that and have them, you know, equipped with the skills and the ability to reach those things. That's, that's our goal.
1: That's the core of education. Yeah. Right. I, one particular element, literally in every conversation that we've had that's been meaningful has been coming back to some notion that, that love and community at core are, are practiced in a deep and meaningful way in Native communities. And when they're not practiced in mainstream culture, it, it, it's something that we need to wake back up to. You access the universal. You access that sense of love or identity or meaning-making through the particular. You access it through the, the place that you're most comfortable and you can dig mm-hmm. in and, and find meaning in that story. But but eventually, you're trying to reach this more universal space, which is which is shared uh, between and among people.
0: Right. But the more you learn about these kinds of concepts of healing and constructs, the more you learn we have so much in common. And, and so, you know, I think of like heroes of mine with, the, with regard to this and one elder who I've Really been fortunate to work with is Mike Bruisedhead who is, he finished. I don't know if I told you about this. He finished his PhD at the University of Lethbridge and defended the oh, entire yeah. dissertation yeah. in Blackfeet. In
1: Blackfeet, you did tell me about that. That's incredible. It's
0: so awesome. And then, but he's he's. Just a brilliant way of thinking about place-based education. He brings people to places that are part of our creation story as Blackfeet, right? And he has people tell the story of that. One of the things he did this summer, too, was he flew to the top of one of the mountains in Waterton and renamed the peak its Blackfeet name. that's great. And and did a pipe ceremony on top of this mountain. (laughs) But the reason he did that is because he wanted people to have access to some of these things that bring us together as community members, to the love and the compassion and the support and the wisdom that's within our language and culture and stories. That's not different from other communities, you know. And we think about these universals that connect us. And and, in psychotherapy, that's a lot of what we're trying to do at an individual or community level is we're trying to have people you know, think about these things that connect us. And, and
1: Well, as we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit here about your experience within the grant itself. You're in the second year of the delivery of the workshop. Mm-hmm. What are kind of lessons learned for the three of you in terms of adjusting your materials? What insights have you come across? And what's kind of been different in the cohorts and the kinds of questions that they've been asking?
0: Yeah, so definitely it's a great question. So last year, like, we had had a lot more struggles with, like, what, what I'd kind of term, like, acute stress response. So so students who were really struggling with coming back to campus, come back to per in-person learning, with having more acute mental health crisis kind of presentation for mm-hmm. symptoms and things, and so...
1: And faculty were, were, were concerned, right? They, yeah. they They just they didn't have the tools and, and toolkit to kind of deal with that acute crisis.
0: And to be fair, our faculty were also in a similar place because yeah. we've had, like, a lot of, like collective trauma experienced and having to pivot to online and all the things that we've, we've had to do as a faculty, right? And so we had to do a lot more work than I think maybe we anticipated on like how to kind of intervene in crisis situations, how to help people who have experienced suicidal symptoms as an example. Now this year we've had more of the prolonged exposure experience where people have had just like a you know, the slow burn, if you will, of following the pandemic and people having a lot more anxiety and depression and burnout. So, you know, compassion fatigue and and feeling, you know, disengaged and, and, you know, just those sorts of kind of like longer term outcomes mental health wise and how to intervene in those situations in ways that are compassionate. And that that so it's it's been Clinically, I think like a different presentation of of the community, and I think in a community level, yeah, yeah. oftentimes, but it's it's a lot more of of that. But also, you know, I think our our communities are and our faculty and our mentors are in a you know a place where they're really curious about their own mental health and like investing in that and sharing that with and so it's just a lot of generosity both years really you know but thinking about you know just a lot more mindfulness of like how how we can apply some of the skills from psychotherapy worlds, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And then, again, we're not trying to make people counselors, but just sharing some of that information with our students and how how we can, you know, better manage some of the stressors that we all are exposed to on a daily basis. And so that's, it's a little bit of the differences, but, like, it's it's got me thinking personally about ways to best share some of this information and, and to how, how we can, uh, you know, just provide some more expertise that's sort of well-rounded in different ways around around these experiences. And, yeah, like I was saying, I kind of interject with my little side stories sometimes. So it's nice to have Brian and Holly because they're very much more structured and, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and you're, br- you're
1: bringing some comic relief. And a little some, bit of yeah, yeah. a
0: little nonlinear kind <laughs> of like, you know, yeah. And and just trying to have some fun with some of it, too, we talked a little bit about yesterday about introducing the idea of silliness into, you know, our, our experiences. And, and that's, I think an underrated thing, you know, and, and part of it is like, cause the audience is STEM faculty, right. And so like kind of in some ways giving them permission mm. to, to want to think about things in like different ways is sometimes yeah. part of what I think we can contribute as a field. Our faculty are really brilliant people, right? And like very intelligent people. And so they have diverse ways of coping, yeah. right? And so- But they need permission
1: kind of to unlock that creativity and applying it in their own way.
0: Yeah. And and like, like oh, this is valid. Like, because I brought up my pirate videos that I have of my chihuahua and like as a funny example, right? But, and they're just funny videos, but, but it, one of the faculty was like, oh, is that okay? Kind of in a way that I like. Videos of, of deer, yeah, and right. it's like, yeah, that's okay. Of course, yeah. yeah, that's part of your like, you know, your coping. You know, that's part of like, what we do is like, we we want to laugh. We want to like, you know, sometimes we cry. Sometimes we do all all the things, but that's like what makes us human, right? Yeah, and brings us together in this way.
1: That's a perfect place to wrap. Thank you so yeah. much for joining me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. If you like what you've heard. You've got a team of talented graduate students to thank. Produced and edited by Kathleen Shannon from the MA Program in Journalism. Sound design with according help from Kate Lloyd from the MFA Program in Media Arts. Jacob Christensen from the MFA Program in Theater edits the website and works the social media magic. And say and say it, it. From Pride and Prejudice.